You are listening to Lighthearted, the official podcast of the United States Lighthouse Society. My name is Jeremy Dontremont. Welcome. My co-host today is Cindy Johnson, Chapter Leadership Committee member and award-winning volunteer for Friends of Portsmouth Harbor Lighthouses. Hi, Cindy, and Happy New Year. Hello, and Happy New Year. This is January 8th, 2023, and this is episode 207 of Lighthearted. We've made a slight change in the schedule. On last week's episode, we said this one would feature an interview about Alligator Reef Lighthouse in Florida. That one is now moved to episode 208 next week. This week, because the subject matter is very timely, we're going to be talking about damage to lighthouses in the recent storms. Uh, as you know, Cindy, we've had some major damage at Portsmouth Harbor Lighthouse mm-hmm. uh, right near me here in Newcastle, New Hampshire, close to uh, where I live and uh, very near and dear to both of us. Also to Michelle, our other co-host and friend. Uh, and uh, the walk, what happened was uh, the walkway that provided access to the lighthouse was largely washed away in our recent storm uh, just before Christmas. Uh, you're out in Arizona for now, Cindy, although I think you are making a visit to New Hampshire coming up very soon. Yeah. But what was your reaction when you saw pictures of the damage to the lighthouse? Oof. It was uh, it was pretty shocking. Um <laughs> Not only was most of the walkway just gone, um, but there also wasn't really any debris. Mm-hmm. So it was just really eerie because it looks like it just it just all disappeared. And yeah. you know, logically, I know that that's because it it literally washed away. But um, it was so strange to see it that way, where it was just it disappeared, it was just gone. Um, and then I just felt kind of sad to see it like that. I felt yeah. kind of sad about it. It is sad, but also to me, not terribly. I mean, it was sort of shocking and, mm-hmm. and but not surprising, if that makes any sense. Yeah, because, okay. yeah, it was kind of a sick feeling. But um, I knew that storm coming in was was trouble. And, uh, you know, we had a major flood there in January and uh, we've had the walkway damage. And actually, the foot of the walkway near the lighthouse actually lifted up a couple has happened a couple of times, lifted up and moved uh, right. like a foot or so in storms. Right. So I think what happened was this time, the force of the water, just lifting the whole thing up was just too much and just kind of snapped it off. Uh, so we lost about half of the walkway from the middle to the, to the lighthouse. Mm-hmm. So it was, like I said, it was a shocking thing to see, but not really all that surprising. Not, so, right. yeah. And then it was just sort of starting to think about money and, and repairs and what, what's next. Yes, that is the big question. We're not going to answer those questions today in this uh, episode of the podcast that uh, there's a lot to be discussed going forward uh, within our organization. Uh, And uh, we will be consulting with a couple of engineers uh, who are going to come and take a look and offer advice. And, you know, some ideas are being tossed around. It's too early to to announce anything publicly, but we will certainly... uh, update people when decisions are made about that. Uh, And it's up in the air at this point, whether we'll be able to have tours in 2023, but we might, I say there's a good fighting chance. We might be able to have tours for at least part of the season. I'm not, Mm. I can't, can't guarantee anything at this point, but we're going to, we're going to try. So I want to get right into our interviews at this point. This is, uh, we've got a lot of uh, ground to cover on this this show. We've got a lot of material that's going to be talked about. First, uh, let's recap what's happened lately with our weather on both sides of the country. Uh, So please help me out with that, Cindy. Sure, Jeremy. 
This past December 21st to 26th, an historic extratropical bomb cyclone brought blizzard conditions and winter storms to much of Canada and the United States, killing at least 71 people and canceling or delaying more than 10,000 flights during the busy Christmas travel season. The storm was unofficially named Winter Storm Elliot by the Weather Channel. Meanwhile, a separate storm moved into the Pacific Northwest on December 23rd. The storm knocked out power for more than 30,000 people in Washington State and Oregon. The region saw hours of freezing rain, leaving a glaze of ice over everything in parts of Seattle and Portland. In Storm Elliott, northwestern Michigan got nearly 43 inches of snow. Snow accumulated to 49.2 inches over five days in Buffalo, New York. Buffalo's 37 and a half hours of blizzard conditions was the longest blizzard in the city's history. Winds in Buffalo gusted over 45 miles per hour for more than 24 consecutive hours, and the highest reported winds in Buffalo were 79 miles per hour. As the storm began to exit the United States, it brought the fourth highest high tide on record to Portland, Maine. People around the country, including lighthouse organizations, are still assessing the damage from these storms. So far, we know of significant damage at several lighthouses, at Portland Head Light in Maine, one of the most visited lighthouses in the world. A window was smashed in on the Keeper's House, which is now a museum, and a door was broken in on the lighthouse tower entryway. At Portsmouth Harbor Lighthouse on the New Hampshire seacoast, as we mentioned earlier, the 80-foot walkway that led out to the lighthouse was largely destroyed. Out at the Isles of Shoals off the New Hampshire coast, a wind gust reached 84 miles per hour. We have several guests today to discuss the recent storms and the damage to our lighthouses. This episode is being posted in both audio and video versions. So anybody listening to the audio version, I recommend you might want to check out the uh, USLHS YouTube channel for the video version because I'm actually editing in some pictures and videos illustrating what we're talking about so people can see the the damage we're talking about as well as uh, listen to it. Joining us for a Zoom session the other day were Jeff Gales, Executive Director of the U.S. Lighthouse Society, Mike Vogel, President of the U.S. Lighthouse Society, Michelle Jewell Shaw, frequent co-host of this podcast and chairperson of Friends of Portsmouth Harbor Lighthouses, Bob Trapani, Executive Director of the American Lighthouse Foundation, Art Green, Chair of the Spring Point Ledge Light Trust in South Portland, Maine, Chad Kaiser, General Manager of New Dungeness Lighthouse in Washington, and Nick Korstad, owner of the Big Bay Point Lighthouse Bed and Breakfast in Michigan. Of course, you also took part in the discussion, Cindy. Yes, I did. Uh, after this, we're going to play a separate interview I did with Kathleen Raftis, uh, the director of Fort Williams Park and Portland Head Lighthouse in Cape Elizabeth, Maine. And we'll hear about the damage there. So let's go to the first conversation now. is uh, really exciting for me. This is the most people we've ever had on the podcast at one time in uh, three years. It's uh, very exciting. Nine people. It's like a Brady Bunch on the Zoom screen here. Uh, and uh, let me introduce everybody quickly here to get started. Joining me are Jeff Gales, Executive Director of the U.S. Lighthouse Society, Mike Vogel, President of the U.S. Lighthouse Society, Michelle Jewell Shaw, my frequent co-host and chairperson of Friends of Portsmouth Harbor Lighthouses, Bob Trapani, Executive Director of the American Lighthouse Foundation, also Lighthouse Technician. Art Green, Chair of the Spring Point Ledge Light Trust in South Portland, Maine. 
uh, Chad Kaiser, general manager of the New Dungeness Lighthouse in Washington, and Nick Korstad, owner of the Big Bay Point Lighthouse B&B in Michigan. Also with us is Cindy Johnson, the other frequent co-host of this podcast and a member of the Chapter Leadership Committee of Friends of Portsmouth Harbor Lighthouses. Thank you all for joining me today. I really appreciate it. This is great. So Mike, Mike Vogel, let's start with you. Uh, you live in Buffalo, New York, uh, which in many ways is ground zero for the storm we just had, uh, which uh, I, I think the Weather Channel called it Storm Elliot. I'm not sure how official that name is, but I think some people are referring to it as Storm Elliot. So anyway, uh, we've all seen in the news how what a bad uh, hit Buffalo is, the Buffalo area has taken in the storm. So first of all, how are you, how are you and your family doing? We're doing fine. Uh, we actually had more problems with a major snowstorm in November than we did personally with this one, which is not to make light of what this one was. Um, it's a once in a generation storm. City's back up and running. Uh, it took five days and there are already complaints about how long it took. Uh, we're kind of winter hardy people here. But what we had was 36 hours of wind gusts up to 79 miles an hour, uh, four feet of snow and uh, some lake events on top of that. So basically it was a blizzard with a lake effect storm embedded within it. And on top of that, a seiche, which is a rapid water level rise in the lake and storm waves on top of it. The, the measurements at my lighthouse at Buffalo Main Light uh, were a 10.7 foot seiche with 22 foot storm waves. So we're looking at 32, 33 feet of wave action a little bit attenuated in the harbor by the breakwaters. My South Buffalo Lighthouse gets the full brunt of that, and we have not been able to get out there to assess it yet. Um, that may have to wait until springtime. But mm -hmm. we have had three of these storms in recent years, 2019, 2020, and now 2022. And that station has been pounded. Uh, we've had breaking waves going right through the fog signal building on occasion. So I expect yeah. heavy damage out there. Um, the damage, of, uh, I just finally got out to our lighthouse when the driving bands were lifted yesterday, the main light, uh, not as much damage as, as I expected. The site was torn up. We have four pound paving bricks from the walkway thrown 60 feet, 70 feet inland, and we're going to have to repair that. Some sign damage, some major erosion damage. That's already an ongoing Corps of Engineers project because the lighthouse sits on the end of a uh, a quarter mile stone pier that has been partially buried by landfill in the 20th century to create a Coast Guard base. A Coast Guard mm -hmm. actually evacuated during the storm, uh, right. shut down and pulled back, sandbagged the buildings and left because it got extreme out there. Um, so the pier dates to 1826 and it's become increasingly fragile over time. So two mm -hmm. years ago, the Corps dumped a bunch of 11-ton boulders along the most exposed part of that, and that did lessen the, uh, the damage, but it's not solving the problem. So there's currently a study we've done ground-penetrating radar, sonic imaging, you name it, to find the voids and figure out what the engineering solution will be. But yeah. major hit, and not to make light of it, but you know, we're talking about damage. I can deal with that. The death toll in Buffalo from this storm is now inching past 40. It was 40 last yesterday, and it's expected to rise. So there's a human cost here, um, and, and it's considerable. And our hearts go out to everybody who 
was affected by that. People frozen in their cars and snow banks and homes without heat. Uh, it's, it's a nasty story and uh, it tells you how extreme weather can get. And to make this just a little global without taking much more time, the U.S. Lighthouse Society has a Lighthouse Managers Advisory Group. If any of you are interested in that, let us know. Uh, some of you, I know, Bob, you're already on it. Um, one of the things that's in development there is a survey uh, of lighthouse managers across the country to see what they feel about their vulnerability to storm damage over time with lake levels and sea levels rising. Um, and we'd like to get a picture of where we as lighthouse managers think the future uh, is going. Uh, if there is a national discussion about mitigation of coastal problems because of more frequent and more severe storms, we want to have some knowledge base from which to speak on that. So that's in development, and uh, we've just taken on a, a couple of new board members. One of them is retired Rear Admiral Dan May, who is an ocean engineer who has worked a lot on Montauk's erosion problems. So he'll bring that expertise to the board as well. And hopefully we can develop a picture, an assessment of, of what conditions are now and where we all as a community think they might be heading. And, uh, you know, we'll do with, deal with the storm problems we have now from hurricanes uh, to blizzards. Um, you know, it's, it's, been a, it's been a tough couple of years and we don't want to see it get much tougher, but we may have to be able to plan to deal with that as it yeah. happens. Well, you said it's a once in a generation storm. Let's let's hope so. <laughs> um, I don't mean to laugh at that either. It's not nothing funny about. Well, I was it, around but, um, for Blizzard of '77 here in Buffalo, so it's like two once in a generation storms in my lifetime. Yeah, that works. Around for the Blizzard of '78 in the, the Boston area and the the perfect storm in '91 in the same area. Those were pretty pretty memorable, but. Um, Anyway, uh, you, uh, but speaking of uh, recent storms, you uh, in Buffalo just had a, a record snowfall. How many weeks before this, before this storm? 19th. Yeah, it was November 19th, uh, 81 inches of heavy wet lake snow. Collapsed my garage and a car and all my carefully arranged winter storage, including all my yeah. removal equipment. <laughs> so it's been a, a physically tough uh, last month or so, uh, it's, it's yep. been hard to get through this, but we are. So you've already had more than a hundred inches of more snow. than a hundred inches and it's still December. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, Mike, we'll get back to it. And a matter of fact, uh, towards the end here, I want to circle back to some of the things you were just talking about, about us comparing notes and trying to be proactive and preparing for, for whatever, uh, the future holds for us with all this. So we will talk about that a bit more uh, at the end here, but uh, let's move a little more into the Great Lakes area. I'd like to talk with Nick uh, Korstad at this point. Nick, of course, you own Big Bay Point Lighthouse on Lake Superior. I was lucky enough to get to stay there for, for a few days last April. It's just an unbelievably beautiful place. Uh, and uh, you texted me, I think just as the storm was ending or just after the storm a few days ago, and show me a couple of pictures. You said it was pretty crazy there. Can you describe uh, what happened for us in the storm? Yeah, definitely. So I, this is my fifth winter up here. And, uh, you know, I'm not sure how many people have been inside this lighthouse, but the walls are five bricks thick and typically you don't hear anything. So it doesn't matter where you're in the house, 
you know, a typical windstorm is, you know, 40 to 50 miles an hour. And, you know, that's about it. But this was the first time that I could hear, I couldn't hear the TV in the house and the downstairs on the bottom level, I could feel the floor joists move as the gusts of wind were hitting the side of the house. And I was like, I don't know how the hell that can even happen. But, uh, you know, I was pretty scared. And then, you know, as I had mentioned, we had, you know, some large sections of our new shingles come off that were rated at, I think, 115 miles an hour is what they're designed for. And uh, they were tarred and nailed on. So it, you know, some pretty good force to take those off. But uh, each piece, as it ripped off the house, I think I picked up about, you know, 100 pieces today sounded like a two by four rolling across the roof of the house. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I was I kind of went outside did some surveying, we have no snow aside from drifts here, but um, I have a massage hut that's down there on the lake and it, it ripped the plywood over that was on the windows, the waves ripped that off ripped off the screen door. And, uh, you know, it was it was I, you know, I guess, you know, I assume it was, you know, what it'd been like to be in a hurricane, to be honest with you. And so, uh, you know, as what Mike was saying earlier, every year I've been here, storms, we get a, a storm that's just a little bit stronger every winter. And, uh, you know, I'd, I'd never had these issues in 2018 when I purchased the property, but each year, you know, kind of a, the storm of the century comes through and kind of changes. But uh, I think our waves out here were topping about 30 feet off the point. And, uh, you know, since we don't have tides here and currents, they hit the cliff and then they feed back out and they just kind of build and build and build. And then you'll get this rogue, you know, like 40 foot wave that, you know, hits up against the cliff and the spray and stuff comes over and you can hear it sounds like a earthquake coming as it shudders, you know, into the caverns below. But uh, other than that, you know, the lighthouse, you know, it fared, but, you know, it's one of those things that you can't just keep replacing your roof every single year. So, yeah, it becomes costly. Yeah. Speaking of that, any chance you could be eligible for FEMA funds? Is that something you've looked into yet? Or I, I didn't look into that. that. I, I just contacted our insurance company today to see kind of, you know, what the extent of that is. But I think what other lighthouse groups are realizing too, is that there's only a few companies that will insure you. And if you start even just calling them, you know, you run the risk of them dropping your insurance policy. And, uh, you know, with the Ben breakfast here, uh, Fremont is, you know, I'm not sure if anyone else has that, but they're kind of one of the few that will insure the Ben breakfast in the house. And so I kind of want to get an estimate to see if it's best to, you know, dip into the, the savings fund or, you know, risk losing the only insurance company that will supply for us. So, um, yeah. You know, but as far as FEMA goes, I, you know, honestly, I never, never came to, you know, I think, you know, we didn't have a state of emergency declared for Marquette County. You know, I think Buffalo may have had one. So that might be kind of the deciding scale for that. I'm not sure that's a requirement exactly, but that might enter into it. But um, yeah, it's interesting. You, of course, you had pretty much wind damage. Uh, I know uh, flood damage is a totally different story with property insurance uh, for the most part. And we'll, yeah, maybe we'll yeah. talk about that. Thankfully while. we're uh, 20 feet higher than FEMA flood requirements. Mm-hmm. So where our fog signal building is, is, you know, technically would be a floodplain, but uh, the waves, the way the wind was blowing, the waves didn't hit up onto that building. So I was thankful for that, but mm-hmm. um, I just know I couldn't go outside and walk around the building. It would just knock me on my butt. So yeah, I, yeah. And it was cold. It would freeze my eyes shut just, you know, going around the bend. 
Yeah. I read there were 25 foot waves on Lake Superior uh, around uh, Standard Rock Lighthouse, which is what, like 30 miles out from where, where you are uh, in 79, 79 mile per hour gusts, they said there. But like you said, at the top of your lighthouse, your your wind gauge measured around 100, right? Yeah. So I think it's just because we're out here on a headland. And so, as you know, it goes through the hills and everything. And we just kind of have a vortex out here. But uh, okay. it stayed pretty consistent in the 60s. And it lasted, as uh, Mike was saying, for at least 36 hours. And, mm-hmm. uh, you, know, it's, you know, we didn't lose power. But we'll lose power, you know, in the middle of the summer on the nicest day. But we have these storms come through. I understand yeah. how our power stays on. So, you know, it's kind of an odd thing, but. Yeah, it's amazing you didn't lose power through that storm. It really is. All right. So I want to bring uh, Art Green into the discussion at this point. Uh, Art is the chair, again, of the Spring Point Ledge Light Trust in South Portland, Maine. Spring Point is a, a lighthouse I've visited a few thousand times over the years, or a lot anyway. Uh, great spark plug type uh, caisson lighthouse at the end of a, a breakwater. So people can walk out to it. Uh, and, uh, from what I've seen online, the storm was uh, pretty ferocious in that region, the Casco Bay region, uh, sustained winds of 40 miles an hour, gusts around 75, 20 foot seas, et cetera. That's what I was reading. Uh, there was some, some damage as some people may have seen, uh, at Portland headlight. And I'm actually interviewing the director there separately, uh, about this, uh, Portland headlight near there in Cape Elizabeth. Also, uh, maybe you saw this art, a guy named Dave Dosty posted some pictures on Facebook. Uh, and I think they were shared on your uh, group's uh, uh, Facebook page as well, showing high seas around there and showing the high seas around Spring Point Ledge Lighthouse and showing a fishing boat that was out there at the height of the storm, which was pretty, pretty crazy. So let me ask you, Art, uh, is your lighthouse okay or did it get any damage? Um, I actually went out again this morning, walked out. It, if those are not familiar with our lighthouse, is a nine uh, a nine hundred foot uh, walkway breakwater to the lighthouse, um, and um, we were actually uh, it was blowing over the breakwater on on our high tide and with the gust winds. We have a, a nine to twelve foot tide change anyway, so add the storm surge on top of that. Actually, the the tower it was quite unscathed. The hardest part was we have a little gift shop. We lost some tiles, uh, roofing tiles off in that. We uh, we had a few blowing around. Uh, at the base of our, on our approach to our breakwater, there's a fort and there's a, uh, it's it's a second order star uh, defense system. It's been, it was built in 1808 and that had sustained the most damage uh, there was a lot of undermining. Um, we lost a section that's those familiar with the area. There's a beach area off in one end. We've lost the whole section of that that fort there. Um, we're talking good sized concrete blocks. Yeah. The breakwater itself that has three to five ton uh, granite blocks that are actually moved a few of those around. So the, the force uh, was displayed a little bit on the breakwater, but the lighthouse was unscathed, went to the cellar and there was no water in there. We did have a little standing water on the second level, the assistant keeper's quarters, but that could have come in through around the windows. But uh, as far as damage go, you know, it was next to none. So yeah. I, we, we kind of lucked out pretty much in that aspect. Yeah. The fort took most of the damage. 
Yeah, I saw pictures of what happened before. It's pretty incredible. It stood through for. There's sections of it actually leaning toward, and there's also there's a college on the premises too. So we have the college, we have the fort, and then we have the breakwater. And uh, so right. it's I, it should be cordoned off because it's quite hazardous for parts of that yeah. wall is leaning yeah. inland. So yeah, but that other precarious. Than that, listening, yeah. to, listening to the Great Lakes, I mean, this is just another little windstorm up our way. Well. I don't know about that. I think it was more than that, but it does look precarious. The, it looks like more of the fort wall could fall over. Uh, I hope people don't uh, go climbing on it and that kind of thing. Hopefully not. Um, but as far as the breakwater going out to Spring Point Ledge Light goes, that wasn't damaged to the extent that it's more difficult to walk out there, is it? No, no, I actually, was, well, there's one block was actually moved over, but there was there was probably a good crowd out there today looking you know there's usually the the average group going it's a daily run out there so yeah, yeah. they still have access to it to get in the tower but yeah again, would this rank as one of the worst storms you've seen in the area art um i've got to say yes i mean and again figuring this this fort it's been around for over 212 years and it's finally showing some damage is telling it's telling on what kind of weather we're getting now, you know, opposed to leading up to this point. I mean, that fort's been there since the war from the war of 1812, right through the second world war. So it's kind of uh, telling on what, what the weather climate is heading here and the weather's conditions. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you, Art. I want to bring uh, Jeff into the discussion at this point. Uh, the storm we've been talking about that happened uh, several days ago uh, is referred to, I think, the Weather Channel officially, not officially, but unofficially named it uh, Storm Elliot. That's what a lot of people are referring to it as. But uh, there was a separate weather system that moved into your area in the Northwest, in the Pacific Northwest, that caused uh, a lot of rain and it coincided with uh, a high uh, king tide, right, a few days ago? Right. Um, and I, I, might, I might defer some of your questions here to Chad because he's right up the road from me and he has a lot more of the technical details on the storm than I do. Sure, sure. Yeah, Chad, you can certainly come into the discussion uh, as well. Um, but before we do that, Jeff, you, you told me uh, even before that all that flooding took place, there, there was an ice storm, right? Was that is that all part of one yeah. event or are we talking separate events? I'm a little confused about this, but you had a personal experience with the ice storm as well. Yeah, it's all connected. I think uh, we, we have a little bit of snow every now and then I texted uh, Mike Vogel that we had a, I think we ended up with six inches of snow and it completely shut the city of Seattle down and our area. And he was joking around with me about that, but um, uh, because the temperatures stayed below freezing and it started raining, we had ice sheets and, crazy roads and, uh, you know, it really was bad. I and mean, we, we literally have one snow plow in, all our in our entire county where, up where I live, so they don't expect it. Um, but I think all of this, I think the snow melting, and Chad can con contribute to this, I think the, the snow melting in addition to the, the huge 13-foot tides and all the rain that we got, and in fact, it's still raining. It's, not, it's projected to rain uh, steadily throughout the week, uh, contributed to it. Plus there's some uh, environmental issues at point, no point. Uh, there's a, uh, there's a, uh, a man-made wetland area uh, north of the, of the property, which the US, Car Corps of Arm the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers built 
to provide uh, usable space for lighthouse keepers. And um, it's always had flooding problems. And most recently, a few months ago, some river outers built the dam in the exhaust pipe that's supposed to draw water out of that, which of course never got fixed and that's contributed to the problem. But I think even with that pipe in operation, uh, 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 drawing water out twice a day, with the huge tide, it would have flooded anyway. So I don't think that's, yeah. I think contributed to it, but yes, I think it's all connected. But just the, 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 the amount of snow we had um, is unusual. The high, the high water levels are unusual. It's all unusual. And I never thought, you know, we, we moved out there to that property in 2008, our offices, and I never thought that I'd be dealing with this level of water accumulation while I was working there. I mean, it's, it's mm -hmm. come much faster than I expected. Yeah. Before Chad? we talk more about the flooding, uh, what I was getting at um, was that you didn't you have to abandon your car on the when the, the roads were covered with with ice? Yeah, point? I tend to, to. I had to, to take some. I had to take a friend of mine to the hospital for a treatment, oh. and uh, and uh, I attempted to. Uh, I attempted the the road, and yeah, I slid off and hit the curb and forced myself to park, and it took me about an hour to walk a half a mile back to my house over the ice. So it was pretty bad, but. Um, Luckily, uh, I didn't make the whole trip and take her to the hospital because about a half hour after I got back home, the doctor called her and canceled. <laughs> uh -huh. so, so it was perfect. Wow. But yeah, it was uh, pretty bad. I mean, e even with four-wheel drive, you can't drive on solid sheets of ice. Yeah, yeah. So, um, Chad, were you starting to say something a moment ago? Or no? Did I? I thought I heard. I was just going to continue to interject with a little more detail as to what Jeff was talking about with the last flooding and storm event that we had out here. And we just had a lot of factors that came together at the wrong times. Uh, as he said, we had our king tides, which are our highest tides of the year in association with a storm. We had temperature increasing, which meant we had a lot of snowmelt. And then we had a low pressure system in the area. So you had the top and the way that Puget Sound is, is designed, it's got one in, inlet. So as you've got the tides pushing in that one inlet, you have all this snow melt and water coming down the rivers and it's running into each other along with wind and low pressure. So all those combined meant you had a much, much higher than normal tide event in a very small area. Um, obviously, I run New Dungeness and I'm closely associated with the work done at Point Wilson. But at New Dungeness, we just had maybe above average waves and tide, tide levels, along with driftwood that has temporarily blocked our access to the lighthouse. And that's very, very minor. We had minor flooding in the basements, but all of that was really quite minor, whereas, you know, 50 miles away in Seattle and Point No Point and some of the lighthouses that are low-lying in the Seattle area, it was a yeah. totally different event. Uh, down at Browns Point, they had people that were kiteboarding on the lighthouse grounds because there was mm -hmm. so much water there. Um, and that's happened in the past too. Uh, and Point No Point is very low-lying. West Point 
uh, in the Seattle area is very low lying. They had flooding there too. And just, yeah. we had all those events that, that matched up at the same time. The very first pictures we got of Point No Point uh, when it was safe to go out there, uh, one of the people who worked for us kayaked down Point No Point Road to get photos for us because the water level was so high. Yeah. But it, again, I, I feel like it's, uh, I always said I we have a good 50, 100 years before we're going to have to worry about this, but it's come a lot quicker than that. Yeah. And yeah. Jeff yeah. really yeah. did luck out at Point No Point specifically because of the threshold that goes into the basements there. The threshold is probably only eight inches tall uh, above the ground level outside. Uh, and I'm, I'm shocked that your basements weren't filled up. It had to have been within an inch or two of that mm -hmm. threshold and going over the top. Oh yeah, yeah. There was only a few inches of water in the basement. It was so, the water was so, I mean, I said we didn't lose power uh, out of the duplex, so which is pretty amazing with all that water floating around. Yeah. But there is literally there the only land left at the moment is the road, the single lane of a parking lot going to the lighthouse. There's no more beaches, there's no more uh sand, there's no more anything except for literally a road to the lighthouse. And we'll just have to assess what's what's left after the water recedes a little bit. I don't anticipate yeah. very much. One thing that we are running into is that New Dungeness, Point Wilson, Point No Point, West Point, Point Robinson, all have gravity septic systems that are below the high water level. And if you get saltwater inundation into a biological system like that, it stops functioning. Not only does it fill up with saltwater, all that good bacteria that's in there that's doing the job that it's supposed to do stops happening. And you have to rebuild everything going on there. And if you're unlucky and your septic tanks are empty, they can pop out of the ground, which would be very, very bad. Um, yeah. And it's last year we had a major part of the infrastructure that we're dealing with because we have gravity systems. Last year we had a major rain event. Um, and uh, which dropped so much water that it flooded the park area where our septic system was. And I called Chad about it. And uh, it actually, there was so much pressure, reverse pressure through our septic system. It pushed all the sewer water up into our keeper's house. And we had to spend, I don't know, it was like $10,000, repairing all of the damage from the septic system that backed up into the house because all of that water, that fresh water was, pushing it the wrong way so wow. that did happen you know wasn't one wasn't the other either one of the other less significant things that occurs is when you have salt water running over your yard it can kill all of your grass now it makes it look bad and it might take a couple of years to rinse all that salt water out of the salt out of the soil but when it does kill that grass uh it can affect how it holds the soil on the property. There's an area out at Point Wilson that has been inundated a number of times, the grass has died, and there's a little hole that's starting to develop because you don't have the grass holding the soil there, and it just keeps getting scoured away by the wind. Um, so these are all things that we're learning on the fly and learning from unfortunate experience. 
Yeah, I was looking at a news report uh, online earlier today uh, from one of the channels, I guess, and TV stations in uh, Seattle showing uh, Alki Beach was at West Seattle, basically being underwater. Uh, I don't know if that lighthouse, uh, Alki Point, was, was sustained any damage, but I guess that was an extremely unusual occurrence. Uh, people, local people who live around there were absolutely flabbergasted and astounded by how bad it was. Um, and I heard, I read something about Brown's Point Lighthouse being partly underwater, as you uh, alluded to, uh, Chad. So I, I think we'll be hearing about more uh, lighthouse damage from uh, all these uh, systems we're talking about here, probably in the coming days. I don't think we've heard right. about all of it yet. And in on Puget Sound, keep in mind, all of our lighthouses are at water level. Those are the most, those are the ones that have threatened the most, just like with the East Coast and some of the ones on the Great Lakes and what have you. A lot of the ones that are water level, the other ones that are the most threatened. So the you, nobody's been able to return to the offices to point no point, right? That's closed. For yeah, the time by, being. by yeah, we get we we got we got out there and uh, even a kayak. Are you serious? Yeah, that's how we got out there <laughs> in the kayak. Yeah, but uh, I haven't sent anybody out now. We the county and uh, the state people are out there. They're they they blocked all traffic. And um, they don't anticipate we're going to be even be able to get out there this weekend. So hopefully Monday we'll be able to drive out there. We'll see. Yeah. I still can't tell if you're serious or not. Did you get out there by a kayak? I didn't, but I told you. Somebody did. Yeah. Well, we have a, a, somebody works for us who lives up in Hansville who has a kayak and that's how she, that's how we originally got our first report. So she kayaked down point no point road to the lighthouse. Okay. Yeah. How did, how did the lighthouse fare? Did water get inside that building? It did, I believe. We don't. She didn't assess the lighthouse. She just assessed the, the ones we thought were the most vulnerable. And, um, but even if the lighthouse did get flooded, it's not the end of the world. You know, it's it's all made out of masonry. There's nothing inside the lighthouse which is going to be overly problematic to repair or, or clean up. Um, it's basically an empty building except for the light at the top. So I wasn't too worried about the lighthouse. But I, I have a feeling it probably get, did get flooded a little bit, but um, um, we definitely dodged a bullet at point no point. I mean, we, it could have been much, much worse. Yeah, and Point Wilson is okay, basically, right? Yeah, the reports we got from Point Wilson was that uh, there's absolutely zero flooding at all. Yeah. Actually, I was supposed to be out at Point Wilson right now, so I'm back in squim for this meeting, but uh, I'm going to try to get out there in the next couple of days. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, Michelle and Bob, sorry, I haven't brought you into the conversation here yet, but I'd like to do that now. We'll jump back to the East Coast. We've been on the West Coast for a while in the Great Lakes before that. But uh, first of all, um, uh, Bob Trapani, for, again, for listeners who don't know, uh, Friends of Portsmouth Harbor Lighthouses is a chapter of the American Lighthouse Foundation, or the executive director of ALF, the American Lighthouse Foundation, Bob. I want to talk about Portsmouth Harbor Lighthouse, but first, uh, the 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 home office, the headquarters of the American Lighthouse Foundation is at Owl's Head Lighthouse Light Station in Midcoast, Maine. Uh, how did uh, how did you fare there at, at Owl's Head uh, in the storm? Any damage or uh, anything notable? We, no, we were very fortunate, Jeremy. We uh, we had two down trees that actually were more on park property, state park property, than on the uh, station itself. Um, no, it really was no damage. I mean, I was there during the storm. I'm watching aluminum siding buckle. I'm, you know, I'm up at the lighthouse. It was extremely, you could almost stand up, but 
fortunately, and we lost power there for two days, um, but that's a minor, that's a minor thing. We have a generator there, so that kept the heating system on, so that was good. Um, you know, so no, I mean, I was at Rockland Breakwater too at the, at the height of the storm, and I do have to say that, and I don't know, Art, you may, you may remember this, but the Patriots Day Gale in April of 2007, that came out of the Northeast versus the Southeast. And just in Penobscot Bay, the waves during the Patriot State Gale were upwards of 19 feet in Penobscot Bay, which is pretty much unheard of. Um, and we had like six foot waves inside the harbor, which even broke the moorings for the uh, 175 foot cutter Abbey Burgess in Rockland. Uh, in this one, coming out of the Southeast, just the way the seas run, they were long swells. So they'd come in and just inundate the breakwater versus these powerful waves that would just crash from the Northeast. That plays a factor in how the, uh, the damage ends up happening uh, with some of the structures. I did walk out to Rockland Breakwater this morning just to, uh, to see if there was some damage. There was a little bit of damage to the boathouse and also to the uh, east side of the keeper's house, um, you know, shingles and things of that missing some slates. But overall, even with the seas seemingly breaking sometimes as high as the tower itself, um, the structure really didn't have that much damage considering. So uh, fortunate there. But, you know, again, it all depends. I was talking to Dennis Tardif, who is the chairperson for ALS Friends of Palm and Ross Lighthouse, which is in East Providence, Rhode Island today. And he said they had, their, their pier was two to three feet underwater, uh, most water they've seen there. Um, but you had that direction of wind that was piling that water up into the Providence River with no place to go. So these directions of storms will play a factor in, our, in, our, um, in how much damage we have. I think from New England, one of the concerns was, like a lot of places, we had a sudden drop in temperature. So you have this wind blowing all this water into places, into granite, into uh, cement, and then that freeze-thaw cycle. You know, so you get a lot of unseen damage that accrues over time. Um, and even things like deferred maintenance, if, if it's deferred for too long and you get a storm like this, it ends up causing the damage even more, obviously. So. Um, it's interesting watching this, but yeah, as far as the storm surge itself, that was that was two to three feet, uh, and at, as as everyone's been noting, on on a very big tide. So um, mm -hmm. yeah, it definitely was it was definitely something to see. Um, so let's talk about Portsmouth Harbor Lighthouse. Uh, I'm I'm here in Portsmouth, New Hampshire, and the lighthouse is about 15 minutes from my home here in New town of Newcastle, next to Portsmouth, about a mile in from the uh, the mouth of the Piscataqua River at the entrance to Portsmouth Harbor. So we had some pretty significant damage there, uh, which uh, Michelle and Bob, I'd like you to talk about. Um, the uh, walkway was largely destroyed. And we had an 84 foot walkway that led out to the lighthouse and that's largely gone. So you guys, Michelle and Bob went there yesterday to survey the damage. And Michelle, let me ask you, uh, you knew obviously before you went about the walkway being largely destroyed. But um, how did uh, what did it feel like to to be there and survey the damage in person? And was it was it any worse or any better than you expected? It was just was sad seeing it was just sad seeing the walkway gone. Um, I think the most bizarre thing though is that there's no debris. There's like there's no debris anywhere. It was it's either further down the river or it's out in the Atlantic now. But there's yeah. just nothing, you know, that one section at the end where it turns, where you walk towards the lighthouse is it's just on. There's one piece of board left there. I don't know how that managed to stay. Yeah. But yeah, it's just and a whole staircase 
you know, the stairs going down to the oil house from the walkway, that whole staircase is just gone. Other than the, the damage to the walkway, things weren't too bad, right? As far as you can tell, the oil house was pretty much okay. Yeah, Bob uh, did a Bob did a great inspection looking, you know, he went up into the lighthouse and everything looked pretty good. Any other comments, either Michelle or Bob, about what you found there? And of course, we've got a lot of uh, decision making to be made about we do. Uh, whether about the walkway being rebuilt and all that. That's for another day. But just any other thoughts, reactions to what what's what's happened there? I just hope we don't get any more big storms like that this winter. Yeah, I second that for sure. Hey, Jeremy, uh, you know, not to cut in, but have you just looked at a marina style aluminum gangway to connect all that instead of replacing it with wood? We have not, but we're, our plan is to bring a couple of different uh, marine engineers to, to look at it and come up with uh, ideas, all, whether there's any alternate solutions, that may be one, one of them. One thing I was wondering is it's been that, that um, walkway with the bend in it for so many years. I'm not sure it needs to be or whether it could be a shorter, more straight walkway of some sort or though we could have something more down lower to the ground or even on the, the ground with stairs going up and down or something you know i mean we need engineers to look at it yeah. and take everything into account sure. so that again that's that's for another day so we just deal with the if we change the configuration you deal with shoreland zoning in regards to piers and things of that nature if we need to establish a new one or what have you so yeah i mean sometimes I, there's options there but we just have to we have to look at it Michelle, I believe, has to leave right now. So I want to thank Michelle so much for taking part in this today. And you and I will be talking, obviously, a lot about this moving forward. So take care, Michelle. Thanks. Goodbye, everyone. Bye-bye. And Cindy Johnson, also of Friends of Portsmouth Harbor Lighthouses. I think, Cindy, you had something you wanted to to ask or or say? Oh, I just wanted to mention Whaleback Lighthouse, um, which is which we as Friends of Portsmouth Harbor Lighthouses care for and the American Lighthouse Foundation owns. Uh, and I was just wondering um, if anyone has been able to have a look out. I know no one's been able to get out there, I'm assuming, but look with some kind of a long lens or to see if there's been any damage uh, from the storm out there. Yeah. Yeah, Michelle and Bob did look at it yesterday with long lenses and got fairly good pictures. And Bob, uh, would you like to comment on that? Uh, Just for those not familiar with Whaleback Lighthouse, to the north, just to the north, is an old fog signal tower base. It's actually pretty critical to Whaleback Lighthouse in terms of being able to access it. Actually helps break up some of the sea there as well. It does look like some of the stonework in that old base has been shifted. Uh, it's hard to tell because we're really looking at it from more of a northwesterly, and we really could have used the southwesterly view of that. Um, but there does look like, as you can imagine out there with seas that anybody familiar with whaleback, seeing pictures online, you know, it can, it can go as high as that lighthouse or over that lighthouse. So, um, yeah, I think there's been some stonework that's probably been damaged. I'm hoping to get out there, you know, here in January uh, when we have a next service out there. Problem is a lot of times you end up having to go out at high tide, so it doesn't really give you a full picture of what is actually below that. So uh, it might have to wait till spring when we can get out there as a group to be able to see it. Uh, fortunately, you need to look at something like the lantern panes when you take seas on that line. 
they looked to be everything was intact. The VRB 25 was spinning. Everything looked pretty good from what I could see in the lens. So um, it was built to take the seas. It's just that the it's just that the rock, the, the old breakwaters and, and just that whole landing there, which isn't any landing at all, really. But that's being rearranged with each of these storms for sure. Yeah, for listeners who who don't know, might not be familiar with it. Whaleback Lighthouse is a seventy foot granite tower right in the mouth of the Piscataqua River, which is basically the entrance to Portsmouth, the, the harbor of Portsmouth, New Hampshire. Whaleback is officially just on the main side of the border, so it's the southernmost main lighthouse in in Kittery, Maine. And as uh, you said, Cindy, it's owned by the American Lighthouse Foundation. So, uh, being in such a vulnerable position is something to we got to keep an eye on with every every one of these storms for sure. Um, I want to, I'm going to, we'll wrap this, this up fairly soon. I know we're going, uh, probably going kind of long here and I appreciate you all hanging in there, but I just want to read something, uh, brief here. Uh, I just, uh, found, uh, the following on scientific American on their website, uh, quote, hurricanes are expected to grow stronger as the climate warms with more of them spinning up into major storms, but it's not just the biggest cyclones that are worsening. New research in the journal Nature finds that weak tropical cyclones, including tropical storms and low-category hurricanes, are intensifying over time. The new study adds a, lot, adds a line of direct evidence that tropical cyclones are getting stronger. The study suggests that this strengthening trend holds true for storms all over the world. I'll also read a little bit from the United Nations website, quote, climate change and increasingly increasing, I'm sorry, increasingly extreme Weather events have caused a surge in natural disasters over the last 50 years. There were more than 11,000 reported disasters attributed to these hazards globally, with just over 2 million deaths and 3.64 million, uh, wait a minute, 3.64 trillion dollars in losses. More water vapor in the atmosphere has exacerbated extreme rainfall and flooding, and the warming oceans have affected the frequency and extent of the most intense tropical storms, unquote. So add to this the equa- add to this equation that sea level along the U.S. coastline is projected to rise on average 10 to 12 inches by 2050, uh, which will be as much as the rise measured over the last 100 years before 2020. Here on the New Hampshire seacoast, there's a projected rise of 1.77 feet by 2060. We don't have time today, today to talk about climate change and all these uh, details to go into depth on it, but... I'd like to ask uh, any or all of you, anybody who'd like to comment on this, and I mean this really seriously, uh, something I think about all the time, uh, are those of us in the lighthouse preservation community kidding ourselves? You know, uh, are we going to be able to preserve these properties in the face of rising seas and increasingly severe weather? Anybody like to respond to that? Don't be shy. Other, other than moving them? Well, that is that's that's definitely uh, on the table for for some of them, probably not the, not most of them, but there that, that certainly can be considered. With some I think of them. I think what it's going to take is a, a new form of the Lighthouse Preservation Act that gets amended that allows uh, legislation to do like what needs to be done at point no point without having to deal with other issues like the tribal issues and stuff. It, and, you know, if we could all kind of work together, then we could, we might be able to, you know, get some sort of legal, you know, loophole in there that saves these historic sites. Instead saves of having them in to what continually, well, let's say point no point would benefit for having riprap put all the way around, but, you know, the state doesn't allow that. 
And so, you know, if we could get an amendment that allows for the light stations to have an exception to some of these rules, then we could, you know, kind of push out some of what's happening, you know, for our, our next generation, for our kids to have to deal with. But, you know, mm -hmm. it might take that. But, you know, if we move them, you know, like point, no point, you know, then, you know, we move the lighthouse and they're going to put a skeleton tower on the point because the lighthouse would be useless if it was moved inland. So, you know, right. that's, that's the tough point. To look at but you know yeah well, point no point is a relatively small lighthouse that might be might be one of the movable ones it might be the cheapest <laughs> yeah yeah comparatively i mean some of the cast iron ones you can dismantle can be moved uh relatively inexpensively but a masonry one like just say whale back for instance you know made of granite blocks out there in a very exposed location it would cost countless millions listen they, they moved uh yeah great britain moved uh smeaton's tower to plymouth ho in east england they can do that any lighthouse can be moved and we moved it's possible cape, we moved cape hatteras so they can be done but i agree with nick once you lift them and raise them and move them they're not quite the same but that's better than losing it but you know i think we're we're pretty definitely going to lose some in the coming years we have lost some in recent years we almost lost sanibel in Florida, Sanibel Lighthouse in the recent hurricane. Uh, we lost uh, Old Orchard Shoal Light in New York Harbor and Hurricane Sandy. We've lost a, a couple in, the, in Louisiana and so forth. Um, we're going to lose more uh, as uh, everything, everything we're talking about progresses. But um, so I guess we have to pick and choose in a way. Uh, you know, we have to pick our battles at this point. Any other comments about no, it? No, I think I think you're right, Jeremy. Nobody wants to hear that lighthouses, you know, can't be carried forward. But I do think um, resources, um, the world of insurance is getting tougher and tougher with each passing month. Um, as these disasters continue to pile up, it's just there's there's going to be a lot of apprehension for insuring these coastal properties uh, for their property values and things of that nature. So I do think in the decades ahead, and maybe not even that long. I mean, just based on what you know, the kinds of scenarios you were just quoting from, uh, we may have to make some choices as a preservation community to say, where is it best to put some of our resources? That's a, that's a really hard thing to say, but these are really serious issues we're dealing with. And, you know, in a moment's notice, it only takes one freak wave, you know, like something like you had a Portland head um, that just can, in a moment, just change everything. So, um, well, I, I, I don't know. I, I, right now, I'd like to say we can save them all. But I think, I think we might have to look at what makes sense as we move into the decades ahead. Yeah. Also, the, you know, what resources, Bob? We don't, we don't have a lot to do this, and we don't fight this as a national community very well. Every lighthouse pretty much has its own constituency. They're right. all kind of local. So what money gets put into saving a lighthouse is going to vary a lot from community to community and who is able to contribute to a lighthouse a very small coastal community may not be able to do as much for its lighthouse as something in a more settled area. Not all lighthouses are equally vulnerable to the sea. We're all by definition coastal structures, but some are more sheltered than other from the actual full fury of, of breaking waves and storms. So it's not a one size fits all approach to preservation in the future. And I think Jeremy's probably right. We're we're not gonna we're not gonna keep them all. Uh, time just does that as well as the fury of nature. So, um, trying to pick and choose what 
lighthouses might get federal assistance. That's going to you know, the more iconic ones are more likely to get that than the the local community lighthouses. And uh, you know, it, it's this is a tough struggle. I don't know if there's a there's a one size fits all legislative solution for it either. It's uh, it's something we're going to have to think very seriously about as as we go forward, and and we probably should start thinking about that now. We might yeah. want to start thinking about what criteria would allow for a light station to be preserved over a long period of time. Um, does it make sense putting hundreds of thousands or millions of dollars into a structure that we know would be very difficult to move or impossible to move? And that's basically, you know, good money, money after bad. And starting to think about a priority and uh, how to measure good use of those resources. Um, even my lighthouse, New Dungeness, is in a very tough location should several feet of sea level rise occur. And that's, that's, a, that's a hard thing to say, but it's something we need to say now so we can be more efficient in the future. To circle back to what you were talking about earlier, Mike, I, you know, um, it's like we need we need new models for preservation. We need to be more proactive, and we need to, uh, to you know, all this, all the other things we're talking about today. We need to address that as a community. And you were talking about the um, lighthouse managers group, the U.S. Lighthouse Society has, which some of uh, the people here are part of. Lighthouse uh, managers advisory group. Lighthouse and I honestly think that any discussion we have of what our preservation policy should be as a national community has to start with a really good assessment of what we have. Mm -hmm. You don't know what you can save and unless you really know what you have and, and the importance of prioritizing. I don't, I don't want to use that term, but uh, what lighthouses are most vulnerable, what lighthouses are most worth saving from a historic context, not just uh, from a coastal engineering context, um, which ones would have been most important to national history, state history, local history. There's a lot of complex issues in, involved in this discussion, but it has to start with an assessment of where we are and what we think our vulnerabilities are moving forward, because that informs anything else we talk about on a policy level. So just again, I'll mention the Lighthouse Managers Advisory Group, U.S. Lighthouse Society. If people listening, I know a lot of people in the Lighthouse community listen to the podcast, managers, owners of lighthouse and lighthouses and so forth. Anybody listening, if you're interested in being part of this, contact Mike or Jeff. Contact information is easily found on the U.S. Lighthouse Society website. Uh, that, uh, actually, that, that group is sort of shepherded by Henry Gonzalez, the vice mm -hmm. president of the U.S. Lighthouse Society, and a lot yep. of people might be familiar with him because he also uh, heads up the, or has headed up until at least now, the Lighthouse Grants Program. So there yep. are a lot of people in contact with him already. Yeah, also been very involved over the years with the uh, Thomas Point Shoal effort, the Chesapeake chapter of the U.S. Lighthouse Society. We've uh, been talking for, for over an hour here, and we should probably be, be winding things down, but I, I just want to, I don't want to cut anybody short if anybody has anything they'd like to add or uh, comment on that we haven't touched on or comment on anything we've uh, been discussing here. 
Well, just to point out that it's a, actually a wider problem than this, at least the, even the storm has been a wider problem than we've talked about here. Um, yes. but virtually every lighthouse on the eastern shore of Lake Michigan is encased in ice right now. Yes. Uh, Saugerties and Roundout on the Hudson River, I think, have had flooding issues and lost parts of walkways. There are a lot of lighthouses that have been impacted. We've discussed a few of them here, but it's not just this group. It's it's a wider spread issue than that. Hey, Mike, when was the last uh, National Lighthouse Assessment done? Was that done by Candace and Ralph and those guys? Or has there ever one been done? That was a historic assessment. It wasn't a climate threat assessment, mm -hmm. which is what I think we need now. So I, I think that's a great way to start somehow trying to put together a group that can actually make that happen. I would love to see that too. The uh, uh, Trinity House in the UK did a, a climate change assessment did, years yeah. ago, looking at the, some of their, what they call rock lighthouses, more exposed lighthouses. Um, I'm not sure it reached any firm conclusions. It certainly wasn't wasn't hopeful, but for those lighthouses, I don't think they were too afraid in the, at least in the short term, that anything too bad was going to happen to them. But, but I, I agree, we need something like that here for sure. Maybe we can help make that happen. So at this point, I, I want to thank you all so much for for taking part in this today. This is uh, this is to be continued. This discussion obviously is. I wish it didn't have to be, but I'm afraid it's going to be a big part of our lives uh, moving forward. So Mike and Art and Chad and Bob and Nick and Cindy and Jeff and Michelle, who had to leave early, thank you all so much. And I'll be talking to you all soon, I'm sure. Take care and Happy New Year, by the way. We're recording this on well. December 30th, so Happy New Year. Thank Thanks. you. Thank you. Bye-bye. As we talked about in that conversation, there are a lot of ways we can work with each other in the lighthouse community to become uh, to be more proactive regarding the impact of severe weather events. We'll definitely be talking about these, these issues going forward on this podcast and in the lighthouse preservation community as a whole. So, Cindy, please help me introduce our second interview segment for today. Sure. Portland Head Lighthouse is in Cape Elizabeth, Maine, on the approach to the harbor of Portland. It was established by order of President George Washington in 1791. The light station was automated in 1989, and the town of Cape Elizabeth established a museum in the duplex house that was once home to keepers and their families. The museum at Portland Headlight has welcomed visitors from every state in the United States and over 75 countries. With more than a million visitors a year, Portland Head might be the most visited and photographed lighthouse in the world. The light station is within Fort Williams Park, a 90-acre park that incorporates several historic sites. Kathy Raftus joined Cape Elizabeth Community Services in 2011 following a 25-year career in the insurance industry. In January 2018, Kathy became the Director of Community Services, as well as moving into the newly created position as the Director of Fort Williams. Her job also now includes oversight of the operation of the museum at Portland Head Lighthouse. Kathy is originally from Cape Elizabeth, and she enjoys working in the community where she grew up. I spoke with Kathy Raftus about the damage at Portland Head Light Station and the recent storm, so let's listen to that now.
I'm speaking this afternoon with Kathy Raftis, who is the director of Fort Williams Park in Cape Elizabeth, Maine. And that is a position that includes uh, oversight of the museum and gift shop at Portland Head Lighthouse, uh, which is certainly one of the most uh, iconic lighthouses in the United States, I would say. So thank you so much for being with me today and Happy New Year, Kathy. Happy New Year. Thank you for having me. You're so welcome. So we're speaking on January 3rd, uh, the winter storm that did damage uh, through a lot of the country hit the Portland area on December 23rd and did some fairly serious damage at Portland Head Light uh, at the station there, which again, uh, just uh, so probably also I would say the most visited lighthouse, if not in the country, but possibly in the whole world, as far as uh, I've been able to tell. That is um, what they say, yes. Yeah, with more than a million visitors a year. It's a, just an incredible place. Uh, just after the storm, I saw a post by the uh, photographer Ben Williamson, who uh, yes. does uh, photography for Down East Magazine. He posted a little video of the damage there at Portland Headlight. That's how I found out about it. I think that's how a lot of people found out about it. Is that how you and other people with the, the town of Cape Elizabeth found out or, or uh, how did how did that happen? Um, I'm there was public works department was down there and they were seeing that the um, hardscaping outside had been breaking apart and blowing up. And uh, then they saw that some of the windows had been broken on that side of the lighthouse. So we went, received a phone call, went down and it looks like if you watch Ben's video, he, I believe, has it like at 11, 17 and seven seconds or 14 seconds is when the wave actually comes up. And then you see it again at 11, 14 or 11, 17 and 21 seconds that the window and the door are gone. So um, we got down there a little afternoon and uh, went inside, went into the museum and the window right <clears throat> as you enter the museum, it, there's a guest, there's a greeters station, so to speak, in the cash register. And that window right to the left of that was blown in off the casing of the whole window was gone, mm -hmm. um, broken. And there was some water damage, but really that one wave came in and then went back out. And so there was, you know, the winds and stuff were down there and the winds had broken a couple of the other windows and that wave had knocked down the actual entrance to the tower. That door had been knocked off the hinges. Right. So we were able, thankfully, very quickly to get a company from uh, the center of town that came down. Public Works brought down and the facilities department brought down um, plywood sheets. And that was cut by this company and put up and protected the interior as quickly as we possibly could. Yeah, yeah. Was no. that the biggest storm you've seen in your years there? And you? Well, uh, I have myself have only worked for the town since 2011, um, mm -hmm. and I have not seen that type of damage or those types of waves. Previously, there have been waves that have come up over those rocks and hit the lighthouse or the tower, but right. nothing to the degree that we had this time. The wind it was just tremendous down there. Yeah, it all depends on the direction of the wind and seas. But, and it was uh, a high tide, so there was a lot of things that right. coordinated at the same time. Yeah, yeah, I read it was uh, something like the fourth highest tide ever recorded in Portland. Uh, so mm. it was it was very high water on top of everything else. Right. So yeah, I know right. historically, uh, in fact, uh, the Strout family, the famous uh, kind of dynasty of keepers, keepers yep. who lived there for like 60 years, uh, during their stay there, there was uh, what they described as a tidal wave that uh, supposedly went... I think they said over the lighthouse, which is pretty hard to believe, but, yeah. but who knows? <laughs> right. Once 
once in a and generation. One other time, a lot of the whistle house was taken out. Um, right. That was was that in the seventies, the nineteen seventies? I think it was in the seventies. Yes. Yeah, I believe so. Yeah. So was uh, what was the damage inside the museum and the keeper's house? Was there much? Not. A, I mean, it, any damage is catastrophic, really, when you look at it. But it was less than one would expect, given the the windows that were damaged. Um, there are those pull down shades on the inside. So to some degree, those protected um, the, as I said, the water and the wave came in that major window that was right next to the cash register and the rug was wet. Some of the books near that area got wet. Um, really no, nothing else was damaged. Um, there is a Fresno light that was right to the left of the window, uh, to the right of the window, but that was not damaged. And we moved yeah. that afterwards and we were able to protect the property so quickly that um, was, we were very fortunate that that company was able to come down and put that up. Additionally, we've had ServPro come in and they ran a dehumidifier, a couple of them um, from last Thursday through the weekend. And um, they're there today and they're taking up the carpet in the museum. So we'll replace the carpet. We'll see what the flooring underneath looks like. And really, uh, other than the carpeting, the windows obviously have to be replaced. And we had to have the Maine Historical Society come and meet and go over the windows and what can be used to replace. So mm -hmm. David Bagdasarian from the facilities department has been meeting with him. So we're getting there. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm relieved to hear it wasn't worse inside the museum, and I was wondering yes. about that lens. So it came from uh, Squirrel Point Lighthouse, uh, right? Yeah, we've been we were fortunate that there wasn't more damage. Definitely. Yeah, glad that wasn't knocked over or anything. So, no. what are your plans for repairs, and uh, do you plan to have the museum open in the spring as uh, as usual as planned? Definitely, yes, mm -hmm. definitely. The like as I said, we're working on. Um, we'll get the carpet taken up. Um, that hopefully will be done today, tomorrow at the latest. Mm -hmm. They'll finish and see what the floor looks like. We may need to dry out the floor, replace the floor again till the carpet's gone. We don't know. Yeah. And the windows will be the longest um, that we'll be waiting for the replacement windows. So as soon as we can confirm when those can be installed or arrive, then that will take mm -hmm. place. Yeah. But the goal is amazed. definitely to open Memorial Day weekend. Oh, good. Excellent. So I was wondering about the the door that was forced in on the entryway to the tower. That's amazing that that was forced in. Yes. Uh, but it's still intact, right? It's uh, The door is intact. Yes. Yeah. Um, it was ripped off the hinges. And so oh, they're going right. to install a new door in, okay. the, in the tower. They being the Coast Guard in that case uh, or or the town? I'm not quite it's sure the town. who has jurisdiction. The, the town will work to have a new door put on that. Um, okay. The door itself is in there, and right now we have it all covered with plywood, um, so there's no entryway right now, so we have to right. get that taken care of sooner rather than later. Yeah, I was just wondering whose responsibility that door was, since the, the light is still a Coast Guard aid to navigate. It's, aid to navigation. it's but it's maintained by us, the light right. is by the Just the Coast light Guard. itself is maintained by the Coast Guard. Right? Correct, and the, Correct. Clock, the town is responsible signal. for the building. So right. they and the Coast Guard has reached out and they're willing to come and help in any way that's needed, certainly with any of the repairs. If that's something that, you know, community wants to get involved in, they would be mm -hmm. happy to help with that. So Right. So any uh, they could put in a heavier duty door, uh, possibly kind of stronger windows. Uh, I guess that's all being 
being evaluated it's, at this point? Yeah, it's being evaluated at this point. Um, you know, it hasn't happened to this degree before. So, you know, um, we'll see what's needed going forward and, and meeting the historical requirements for the windows. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm curious, was there other damage at Fort Williams and or any other facilities that you're involved with uh, with the town? Um, at Fort Williams, there was washout damage to some degree in some areas. Um, but at town center, um, the community services building suffered some severe damage. And um, our two of our most active rooms, we have a preschool in here, That's that was saved, thankfully. But the other end of the building where we have exercise classes, both those rooms were damaged to the point of they are now gutted and they were out of use for a minimum of 60 days. They're, wow. They have taken out all the way down to the studs for both of those, so. So you're searching for space for, for these activities, yes. right? Yes, yes. Yeah. I know you're very occupied but with town that. Town has stepped up, and a lot of people have been very helpful. So we'll we'll get those classes taken care of, thankfully. So that's good to hear. Well, it's a it's a great town. I've uh, spent a lot of time there over the years. I used to bring van tours to Portland Headlight. I did that for eleven years. I brought thousands mm -hmm. of people there, oh, literally wow. thousands of people. So uh, it's a, and I, I go back. I was at the uh, automation ceremony in August '89, August 7th '89. Oh, wow. I took video of that. I think nice. I have the only complete video of that that event. Wow! <laughs> so I yeah I have some. I grew up in Cape Elizabeth, so I uh -huh. was I was here from 1962 on so yeah yeah and then i left for a short period of time but came back uh-huh yeah that's a beautiful town beautiful area and it is uh, again people ask me sometimes what's my favorite lighthouse and i always hesitate and then i say well if you're talking about just sheer beauty i have to say portland head so the park is a contributing you know it, it yes. really is it's a beautiful yes, it's the setting it's the whole setting uh it's just perfect it's what a lighthouse it should is. be yeah. Yeah, it is. Yeah. So thank you so much. I'm sorry about what's happened. Uh, I'm thank glad, you. Uh, you know, progress uh, seems to be uh, good progress already and uh, looking forward to seeing you open in the spring and visiting there next year. Great. And let's hope let's hope the la that's the last of our major winter storms <laughs> this year. But I know. Uh, who let's knows? hope. Yeah, exactly. So thank you so much, Kathy. I, I really You're appreciate welcome. you being with me today. Thank you. Thank you. You can learn more about visiting Portland Headlight Station at portlandheadlight.com. It's an amazing place. I think you know that, Cindy. It's definitely mm -hmm. at the top of my list for scenic beauty. I wrote a book about Portland Headlight a few years ago. It's called All About Portland Headlight. You can get it on Amazon and other online booksellers. Uh, and uh, Cindy, I think you know Portland Head is a, a pretty special place uh, too. I do. And I was fortunate enough to climb the tower a few years back. Mm -hmm. You know, I've got I've got some connections in the lighthouse world. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. They uh, pan uh, out sometimes. <laughs> I just happened to have been there that day too, and uh, I've been lucky enough to climb it a few times over the years. It is not the tower itself is not normally open to the public. Mm -hmm. It is open once a year to the public on main open lighthouse day in September. It's always a Saturday in September, uh, but um, occasionally uh, different organizations have had. Uh, auctions and things where the prize has been a, uh, a tour of the, the lighthouse. Mm -hmm. uh, so it does come up every once in a, in a blue moon. Mm -hmm. uh, and it is a, it's just such a beautiful place uh, in every, every way. So it's pretty, pretty special as lighthouses go. It is. So that about wraps up today's uh, extended episode. 
Uh, it was a little longer than usual. I thought the uh, subject matter was really interesting and important. Uh, and I just want to mention something uh, in the, the picture, uh, since we're doing a video episode here, I thought I should point out that next to me here, you can actually see crutches. And if anybody's wondering, we talked about it in the interview earlier, the Zoom session with the, the eight, eight people, eight or nine people, whatever it was. Uh, but just to uh, point out again, I had a foot operation uh, just about two weeks ago and I've been on crutches. I'll be on crutches for about four to six weeks total. So that's why I wasn't able to visit Portsmouth Harbor, like to see the damage in person, which which kind of uh, was very frustrating. I really wanted mm. to be there to see it firsthand. But we had two uh, very sharp, uh, you know, people looking at it, Bob Trapani and Michelle Shaw. Yep. So uh, that was all in good hands, but I really Keep wish Keep that could foot elevated. I'm trying, so we can finish <laughs> recording here, so I can get, it, get right. it elevated again. So next week in episode 208, we'll hear the uh, delayed interview about the preservation effort for Alligator Reef Lighthouse in Florida. And that's a, a really good uh, interview as well. So the author Bryant H. McGill once wrote, quote, when the storm rips you to pieces, you get to decide how to put yourself back together again, unquote. Mm. I like that. Mm -hmm. uh, be sure to check out uslhs.org to learn more about everything the U.S. Lighthouse Society offers, including preservation grants, tours, the passport program, and lots more. If you listen using Apple Podcasts, please rate and review us. And please share this podcast on social media. Thank you, Cindy. And as always, to all our regular listeners and our new ones, thank you so much for listening and keep a good light.